0: we haven't really been honest about what's been going on and maybe taken a hard look at how we individually can make sure we do a little better for ourselves, for our female colleagues, for our daughters, for our grandkids, for our nieces, whoever it is, right? If you have a woman in your life, a wife or a partner, it could be for them too.
1: Dr. Marissa Porges is known for her work on gender and education leadership and national security and is the author of What Girls Need, to raise bold, courageous, and resilient women. She is currently head of school of the Baldwin School, which is a 130-year-old all-girls school outside of Philadelphia. It's world-renowned for academic excellence in preparing girls to be leaders and change makers. She is an alumna of Baldwin and personally understands the power of its approach to educating young girls. And it actually provided the foundation for her own military service in the United States Navy, and her work on national security and in foreign affairs. I am super excited to talk to Dr. Porges today and have her on. I I feel like she's part of my tribe in the mentality of equality in leadership when it comes to building that equilibrium of men and women in today's workplace. And I am even more thrilled that both Ron and I are um, privileged to talk to her today because Inviting him in on the conversation, this very, very important topic, uh, I think is um, crucial to getting kind of both sides and understanding what is working, what is not. um, uh, As you all know, Ron and I bring a very equal uh, male-female take on leadership. And I think this is going to be the perfect, uh, perfect recipe of how to discuss this.
2: Welcome to the Forging Metal podcast with your blacksmiths Tara O'Brien and Ron Duran Jr. Come inside and grab your hammer. The fire is hot and ready. It's time to harden the fuck up. Let's get to work. The forge is now open.
1: Marissa, let's just let's start off by setting the stage for kind of everything we're going to cover in this podcast here today, because we're going to be talking around how to raise bold, courageous and resilient women. And I just want to know your general thoughts right up front about the world that that our young female leaders are entering into. What do you think that looks like and what are some of the problems and challenges you think they're facing right now?
0: Yeah. And I think this is the the interesting thing is we think in some ways we've come so far, we see more and more women um, in leadership roles, more and more women winning elections, more and more of our next generation of young girls thinking and seeing themselves and, you know, following any direction they want prefer- personally and professionally. And yet, On a daily basis, a lot of the gender biases that Tara, we probably have felt on a daily basis, or other of of those listeners see, in you know, just still playing out. Whether it's because you know, the gender pay gap still means we're making 81 cents on the dollar compared to men, or when you look at senior leadership in the corporate sector or in entrepreneurship, we know that less than five percent are women, or in the political sphere, and so on, and so on. There are still those roadblocks because the system hasn't fully changed, that mean our girls, the next generation of young women, or today's leaders are facing different things in the real world. And so my story, my lesson, the things that I've seen in the research is that we wanna prepare our women, our girls and each other with skills that make sure we're ready for it that we can be risk takers, but also resilient in failure, that we understand how to leverage our personal superpowers, I call them, that may be different than our male peers and may set us apart and help over time ensure that we can close those gaps I just described and reach true gender parity over time. So I do think there's still a problem out there. It's changing, yes, as the system changes, but in the interim, we need to make sure that women, young and old, all of us, are sort of really getting the skills we need to be our most resilient and bold selves.
1: And we'll talk about some of those skills today and cover some of the topics in your book. And I just want to dig in just a teeny bit more on because a lot of the podcast will be about how to succeed and move forward with this situation. But when it comes to how men and women, mentors, even or parents, or like Ron and myself, teachers in school or universities, when When it comes to how we are preparing women or teaching them or guiding them, what are we doing wrong, do you think?
0: Well, I think sometimes, I mean, I speak from personal experience, that we overlook the realities of what life might be like out there. And we say, okay, well, we've closed a lot of the gaps, we've solved a lot of the problems, and so girls and boys should be just treated equally and nurtured equally. And we overlook the fact that still to this day, even as our young women are earning seats at the table, perhaps, they're still not as effectively maybe raising their voice or negotiating or speaking up and speaking out. You know, I saw that in my own path my own career, you know, when I was in a lot of male dominated environments, places where traditionally speaking, it was a little harder as a woman to earn your seat at the table. And when I got there, I said, great, I'm here. But then I realized, wait a minute, I need to remember and, and learn how to speak up and be effectively heard. And in that moment of realizing maybe I was missing some sort of skill that even as an empowered woman, I wasn't quite there yet, it occurred to me that we still need to nurture certain things in our girls and boys, be realistic and candid with them about some of the hurdles and challenges they'll face and say, okay, this is what they need to succeed. Right. And it's what I do now. And you mentioned that, you know, as a head of an all girls school, I look every day at the next generation of girls and say, how do we prepare them? How do we help them practice the everyday moments, the ways that they can speak up and feel empowered? Right. So here we do it by helping them practice what it means to not just speak up in school, but then go out in the real world and be the one ordering, you know, food for their families at the at the table or speaking up if they're harassed in, in, you know, in a co-ed environment or making themselves heard in a wider environment and it just really i do think it comes to being candid about what the hurdles are and then helping find ways to practice the skills that it will take to close those gaps and again to the point of, of for this audience really you know be mindful about how to be resilient in the face of those hurdles i think is really what it comes to
2: well, let me jump into this conversation as the as as, as everybody knows, I'm the only man in this in this little trio here which which is I'm in good company. <laughs> this is near and dear to my heart and sometimes I get raised eyebrows Eyebrows that that this and maybe this comes from my mom and my upbringing but but I I believe, you know, I, I and let me start with this. This was not on my radar. As a young man growing up I had no clue that it was a different playing field. And I'm just going to throw it right out there. This is a different playing field for women. And I and I maybe I want to circle back to that with you Marissa on what you how would you characterize this and how do you how do you frame this with with young women? But it's a different playing field. And so I guess want to go I want to go back to your, your original thought there that I was blind to this. And I think most men are. And so I think this is where this this conversation please don't turn, don't, don't tune out, man. We are part of this and we need to be part of the solution moving forward. And that doesn't mean that you're, you're a bad person or that, you know, you're sexist or anything like that. It just means that we're, we are inadvertently part of this problem. And and it's because we have no idea really in my mind that, that this is happening. So I think that's a a good starting point. I want to really want to make that clear to all the men that are listening. We need to, you know, tune in and pay attention to this as well. Let's just jump into, let me, let me go back to the question. How do you frame this, Marissa? Is this, dare I say, and I I know this may come across bad or wrong. Is this a, is this a, an angry stance that you take with young women? You know, where, oh, these men are all out to get us and it's stacked against us. And it's such a, you know, it's, it's a bad situation and we need to fight back and be angry. And I, I think I know the answer to this, but, but would, would you say that that is, is that the way you would, you would kind of frame this?
0: I, I love you asking that term in that way. So I can firmly say no, not at all. Right. Because a lot of it is just a result of the way things have gone over time and over history, right? To your point, for those men listening to this podcast, none of this is any anyone's fault, but so far as we haven't really been honest about what's been going on and maybe taken a hard look at how we individually can make sure we do a little better for ourselves, for our female colleagues, for our daughters, for our grandkids, for our nieces, whoever it is, right? If you have a woman in your life, a wife or a partner, it could be for them too. And the you know, a g- example I'll give, but it speaks to this, like how the playing field is different is one that would not have occurred to me when I was, you know, kid, a teenager and pursuing my dream, which was to, you know, fly jets for the military. Right. I was that kid. And I had the good fortune of having a lot of folks in my life, including my dad, who said, go for it. Right. Not realizing at the time that it was actually illegal still back then for women to fly in combat. No one ever mentioned that. So I just went for it. And a couple of years later, I ended up, sure enough, going to flight school for the U.S. Navy and soon enough ending up in a a carrier based jet where I was flying off the tip of an aircraft carrier in the Pacific. But there was a moment along the way when I was given a form to sign to waive any right to sue the U.S. military should I eject from my plane and get severely injured because it was admission that the emergency gear hadn't been Made for, built for, tested, constructed for someone of my size, my stature, aka I'm a very petite woman. We're on Zoom right now, so you can't tell, but I'm short, right? But I'm, you know, not that short for an average woman, but I'm well outside the bands, the bands, the bounds of what most of the equipment, the safety gear had been made for the plane. Right, and this is true. We've seen it in the papers when it comes to gear, protective gear for our soldiers in Afghanistan. We read about it last spring for the astronaut suits, suits on the space station that, for you know, years had just been a standard size that was for mostly men, and it seems like a small thing, and yet over time we think how it affects each of us. Right, it affects. You know, the women in your in colleagues, when you think that the uniform, you know, is saying one thing for for women and expectations are being set and it's different for men. The fact that pants couldn't be worn on the floor of the U.S. Capitol, or the floor of Congress until the 90s, that some companies still, you know, even as of last year, were saying women have to wear high heels to work in the office. Look, these norms that we just sort of overlook because eh, it's the way it is. And yet they seem small, but compounded, they create an environment where there's a sense of difference. There's a sense of hurdles that women, colleagues, friends, and the next generation, our daughters have to overcome in a different way than their male peers.
2: Yeah, and so I this catch. is
0: where it's not about you know anger. It's just about being honest with what's out there and saying, all right, well, how do we prepare our girls, our women for that reality so that they can be successful and thrive in it?
2: That, that's so interesting. I never thought of that. But but I'm thinking as a man, if if they say, okay, we don't have gear for you, I would immediately think I don't belong here, and so it, it's it's planting the seed, whether it's subconscious or not, that uh, you don't belong. You're not part of this tribe, and uh, we have to make special allowances for you. So uh, yeah, wow. Thank you. And, and so again, there's another uh, thing that that never would have uh, occurred to me.
1: And I know I know, Ron and I want to dig in a little bit on some of these norms that you're talking about and how we can actually, some tools that we can give to people out in the workplace now to actually kind of combat some of these norms, because I think it's a group effort. But I, I, before we go there, I do want to dig into your book just a little bit, What Girls Need, right? And I'm looking at some of the fantastic book, Great Read. Thank you for writing it, truly. But some of the the chapters with titles of nurture her collaborative problem-solving skills, help her find her voice, make empathy her natural advantage, her ability to adapt will be key. Let me ask you, are these chapters gender-specific, do you think?
0: So it's it's a great question because, and the answer is going to be no, but yes. Yes, but no. A little okay. bit of both. So the, the reality is, of course, all the skills I talk about in the book are key skills for both boys and girls, men and women, leaders across, you know, you know everywhere you are in any gender you are, right? It's, it's, you know, about what the future workforce needs. Everyone in the workforce needs to be adaptable. We need to be empathetic communicators. We need to understand what skills it takes to be resilient. And that requires problem solving in certain certain ways. It requires, you know, negotiating and having voice in certain ways. Of course, these are things that apply to both men and women, boys and girls. But as I argue in the book, and as my own career has proven out it looks differently for a lot of women not for everyone but by and large and research bears out that we do negotiate differently or not as often as men you know in a lot of ways we do communicate differently you know as, as a general matter we do problem solve differently because of social norms about how we find consensus how we empathize and i would argue these are, all can be strengths and advantages and help you know us as women lead differently and lead more effectively if we nurture and think about it in certain ways, even as sure enough, it's something that boys and men should be leaning to as well. So you're right. It is not gender specific, but I do think it is something that if we can help our our women and female leaders lean into, it's an advantage for them.
1: OK, I only ask because as Ron and I were both reading the book, Ron was like, wait a minute, I'm going to some of these skills are good for me. 100 <laughs> yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> percent. It's for well, everyone.
2: Yeah, yeah. Let's you talk. You know, let me. You talk about this idea of I think you call it empathy as, as being a superpower, and 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 certainly you are framing this around young girls. And and it, for those that don't know, you know, gen, you you've heard me on the podcast talk about generalizations. They they are useful for conversation. I, I'm not going to veer away from them, but we also got to remember that not everybody fits in a box. But the, the research will say that women uh, score higher on empathy than men do. And so you talk about this as being a superpower. And I also agree. I once was asked by somebody, what should I teach my young son? And, you know, without hesitation, I said, teach him empathy. I think this world, this, th- th- we need more empathy in the world. And, and I think this is more pronounced in the United States because we have this rugged individual kind of mentality that that kind of really goes away from empathy. So. I guess with all of that, why do you call it a superpower and and how can women tap into that?
0: Yeah. So... I think I want to speak to why empathy is important because then it'll underscore why it's a superpower. I think that sometimes the skills of empathy, the, the ability to take the perspective of another person, to then make decisions with them in mind and communicate those decisions in a way that builds relationships and advances whatever the cause is or conversation is, all those things sound really soft and squishy to a lot of us right and it sounds like oh okay well that's uh, nice to have it's about being a good friend it's it's something that we can have as secondary but it's not going to be what is your advantage it's not going to be make you better in the corporate sector or you know some of the other places that both uh, us and our kids want to be and yet Across the board, whether it's in the military, where military leaders are now are taught empathy, where, you know, the leaders in Iraq were saying empathy is what is going to help them win, you know, the Persian Gulf War and sort of make it make advances there or whether you're in a sector where you need to understand your customers and where the bottom line is driven by understanding what your customer needs. And so that's where your profit margin is. It's why they now teach, have empathy training at Ford Motor Company because they want their engineers to be empathetic thinkers and not all of them learned it growing up, right? So when we think about that image of um, empathy as a real true advantage, we then see, okay, well, if you are naturally empathetic or if as a general matter, because of social um, norms and the way girls are raised particularly at young age, we're raised to communicate in certain ways, share in certain ways, find consensus and you know it's been proven out in studies that even in elementary school when little when children boys and girls are given, a, a problem, they solve it differently, and that oh, it's been borne out that girls use empathetic sorts of communication skills to get to the root of the problem. These things allow you know me to argue and me to think that well, if we nurture that skill in our girls, it will be their as I call it superpower. It's something they will rely on when they go out into that industry where they say nope. Well, how how do you make your sales grow you know exponentially compared to your your colleague, your peer, your competitor? You empathize with your, your uh, customer, you understand what they need and you give it to them, right? Or you understand how to advance um, the cause of your team, how to lead effectively. You know, you know. We think about how leadership looks in a pandemic. It's about understanding your people and helping them navigate the challenging time, right? And so this is where I truly think for all of us, understanding how we can naturally empathize and be even better at it is a really important skill and so it's where I think if we can nurture it in our boys and girls, but again, I'm always looking to give our girls an advantage, that's sort of my daily business, it becomes something that is truly special and unique to them and that they can lean on, you know, at any age.
2: I think that's a great message that, that's kind of hidden in there is let's not try to turn, and this is a lot of the messaging I, I hear is let's not try to turn women into men. You know, if you want to you succeed in the world, you need to act like a man. And, and, and I love this message that you're saying here is, hey, here's something that you're probably pretty good at, and this can differentiate you. And this is, you know, dare I say, it's, it's more of a, a, a thing that the women are good at. I and mean, again, let's be clear. There's there's plenty of men that are good at this too. Mm-hmm. And so, but but I like that that messaging there. That don't don't. Do, would you agree with that? Don't you're not trying to turn women into men. Am I reading that right?
0: You are reading it right, and you summarize it so succinctly that I I will use that in my future podcast <laughs> interviews. But it it because it's true, right? And it came to me in a really jarring firsthand way when I was in the Middle East doing research um, on terrorists. I mean, that was sort of a a chapter in my career, was spending time in Yemen and Saudi Arabia on the Syrian border, talking with former al-Qaeda, people who had joined terrorist organizations or were joining the Syrian civil war as rebel fighters, and mostly men, as you would imagine, and trying to talk with them to understand their perspective and understand sort of that world of terrorism so that, you know, frankly, we could, as, you know, Americans, as governments, figure out what to do about it. And I realized that the best tool I had wasn't to be more like a male researcher, wasn't to relate to them in a way that you know was typical between men in that region or men overall, but it was to lean on sort of my unique capacity as a woman to communicate differently, to be vulnerable differently, to talk about my family and their family differently, to show pictures of what life was like as a woman, as a female, as an American that helped me connect with them. And, you know, one story that I share in this book that as a snippet, but sort of speaks to this whole scenario is, an, you know, a meeting I had, an interview that I did with the former senior recruiter for Al-Qaeda in Yemen, who had been with Osama bin Laden in Tora Bora, had sort of had those stories that, we you know, were just amazing and scary and, and all of that wrapped in one. And we spent a morning over breakfast sharing stories about our family and sharing stories about, you know, His children and what it was like to grow up in America, and sort of my personal story. And it was a very different approach to the interview and the research, but it meant that I could oddly empathize with him and he could oddly empathize with me, even though we were from entirely different backgrounds, spoke different languages, and all the rest. And, you know, obviously he had a background as a terrorist that I had no idea, you know, how could you even relate to that? And it was what allowed me to break through the barriers and advance the conversation to a point that was helpful for both of us and for my research. And it's just a a small moment that really speaks to this idea that it wasn't me being more like a man, but it was me using my empathetic communication skills, my ability to relate in different ways as a true advantage. And, uh, you know, that I I think served me in, in that moment really, really effectively.
2: It was a strength. Wow. I'll just say that. Wow. Yeah, what it's not a story. Know. I know what the first experience. time I told
0: that story to my mom, I was a little worried. I have to say, not a story you bring home very often, but it's okay.
2: Oh, that's, so that's great.
1: From your real world experience and some of these, because you've been in quite a few hairy situations, you've done a lot of uh, international travel, and been—I mean—been in rooms with the president of the United States, and with these, with this background, and then putting it together with some of the the skills and, and tools that you've written in your book what would you how would you personally mentor a room full of men regardless of age that have the ability to go out and kind of exponentially breed what you're talking about here what would you talk to them about what would you say to them what what toolkit would you give them?
2: I'm all and, ears
1: oh, this is great
0: because I think it's a really important lens to have on it and I think it requires two things. I think one is candid conversations with the, the people in your life who are going to be most honest with you about the hurdles they're still facing. This could be your wife, it could be your sister, it could be, you know, your assistant or a member of your team to say, hey, you know, an in, informal moment to say, you know, I'm curious. What are the moments that I don't even realize are happening? That moment, like I talked about, when I realized the equipment isn't built for me and, you know, there's a hundred different things I have to do just to do my job in the same way that, you know, the man, it would come naturally to him. You know, and I think there are small moments like that that we don't realize. And it's helpful for men in particular who probably don't realize some of the privilege that comes with walking in the room and being, you know, being a man in in the environment you're in. And I think having candid conversations with those you trust and those who trust you are really helpful. And I think people's wives and si- siblings and, and partners and family can be a good place to start. And then I think with that in mind, it's about finding little moments to create space to help bring and not just mentor women in your life along, but sponsor them, right? And this is the difference between mentoring, allowing space and sponsoring, helping them step forward. So one thing that, you know, for example, I think a lot of times well not a lot of times, actually research shows that women get interrupted more than men in meetings, in conferences, even at the Supreme Court, right? Crazy to think at the highest court of the land, female Supreme Court justices are interrupted 60% of the time compared to a male Supreme Court justice, right? It's just what happens. And, you know, we can speak to a lot of the why, but let's instead get to the problem solving, right? So there's ways that we can create workplace environments, meeting environments, conference environments to make sure women aren't being spoken over, right? It's the trick of at a meeting at the end or start, have everyone go around the room and have a moment where they get the floor. Or if you see a female teammate, colleague, or, you know, member of your workplace getting spoken over, pause and say, hey, Tara, that what you just said, very interesting. Can you explain more? Or, hey, hey, guys, I, you know, Tara had a good point about X and Y and Z. Like to hear more. Let's think about it right? Finding these ways where once we recognize what the problem is very conscientiously in small moments. This isn't about being perfect. It's about changing everything you're doing, but finding little ways in the same way that my book talks about empowering our kids, our daughters for doing these things. I think there are same things we can do as adults to make sure we make room to bring them along and create opportunities um, for them to step forward and, and really own moments. So hopefully that gives at least a little bit of an idea, but I sort of have more specific things if it's helpful too.
1: Now, I'm actually going to ask you the really hard question, which is because I know I, I even feel it a little bit myself as a woman. And so I know there's got to be men out there that are thinking the same, which is why do I have to do that? Yeah. Why do I have to do that for my male colleagues. Why do I have to do that for my female colleagues? Ah, wow.
0: Okay. It, is it okay to say because it it's the right thing to do? So there's That's one, there's the that. Right thing. Uh, Okay. So one, because I think it's, it's the right thing to do, but I'll just speak a little more to the point because we can all roll our eyes and and it's sometimes that's, it's hard to do the right thing sometimes, or it takes time and effort and all the rest. It will serve us all better. Your team, your company, your family, whatever it is, your group, your community will work better if all the voices are heard. Right. Studies show that when there are more diverse voices in the room helping solve the problem, you end up solving the problem better. Right. You have better profit margins when you have women and diverse voices on your corporate board. You end up with solutions that work better for your employees when you have more different voices in the room with those perspectives in mind. So even if it's not just because it's the right thing to help make sure we can all sort of get along a little better and, and sort of gl- close those gaps we talked about earlier in the show. It will also be better for a better for you at the end of the day. You want the woman to be able to speak up because she has good ideas. That's why she's there. You want to make sure she feels empowered um, and supported and able to take on projects and sort of be her best self because it's it's going to make sure that your whole team is doing better. and And studies have shown that out. So I think it's both it's the right thing and you know for for those who just you know, want to say yeah, it's also going to serve you better too. How's that?
2: Those are great answers, uh, you know. And, and again, I'm going to circle this back around. I, I remember a time in my engineering career where I had a young male uh, colleague that he was just getting stepped on and kind of bullied in meetings. And I pulled him aside and said, "Hey, we got to we got to fix this." So again, I just want to reiterate: this is yep. not always just just the the woman that that needs uh, needs that. Yeah. And so all right. Marissa, let's 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 play a little game here. You know, I, some of my students I, I know listen to the podcast, and so I teach at the undergrad uh, and graduate level, and and so you know they range anywhere from twenty years old up to you know thirty five years old. All right, so let's say you're mentoring me, and I don't know if that's the right word, but but let's go with mentoring. You're mentoring me, and and I say, Marissa, you know, I people keep interrupting me, I, and whenever I'm in a meeting, all the men interrupt me. How do I break that. How do I, how do I voice, how do I use my voice? Cause you talk about this in the book. How do I use my voice? And I'm going to throw in my little side, you know, note here of how do I use my voice and not come across as the an angry woman?
0: Mm-hmm. Totally. Because I think it's something that, oh gosh, it is still a, a concern, right? It's still both a concern that in, in your undergraduate classes they've done, again, I go back to the research shows that, you know, particularly in science classes, women speak out and, and answer questions much less often in science classes and college environments than men. They just raise their hand less and speak less, but we want to make sure they're heard effectively. So I'll say I have two, I'll call them, I don't want to call them tricks, so I'll call them tools, because I think sometimes it's good to be practical in these moments. One is to partner up with others, right? One way that women both feel most empowered to have their voice amplified and feel heard, and to your point, like are most effectively listened to without it coming across in, you know, in a negative way, is when they have help. It's often easier to partner with another woman who I, you know, every step along the way, I've always had work sisters, right? That person who I, you know, who just became my buddy and, you know, the happy hour friend who I also would turn to in meetings if, particularly when we were, you know, one of the, if not the only women in the room, and we would have each other back, have each other's back, excuse me, and help amplify what each other was saying. So that my voice was often heard because, you know, I can remember in the White House, my friend, Adrian, my work sister, Adrian, would help make sure that, you know, people didn't step on me and step on my voice, as it were, when my ideas came to the table. And so consciously partnering up with others so that you can And it could be a man as well. And so this is where it's not just about, you know, women teaming up with women, but making sure we each have each other's back, I think is a really concrete, I don't want to say easy, but practical way of advancing that, tackling that issue. I think the other thing um, is practicing, practicing, practicing the muscle of speaking up. And I can speak to this personally, right? Like I, you know, I will think of myself as, you know, empowered and, you know, effective at voicing my my cause and sort of being able to navigate those those rooms where I may be one of if not the only woman there. And yet, like anything, you know, I'll have times when the cat cat has my tongue. Right. It just happens. And, you know, one of the most embarrassing moments is the story when the first time I was in the room with the leader of the free world. Really, the had reached the pinnacle of my career was sitting in the West Wing at a small meeting with President Obama finally there, right? Had earned my seat at the table. We were talking about national security and foreign policy. And over the course of the hour, aside from introducing myself to make sure he, you know, when we ran on the table and it was my first time there, he knew who I was. He didn't say a word. I found myself suddenly quiet, letting other people speak for me, saying I'll, I'll speak next time. He has it. My colleague has it. And I walked down and was horrified. I remembered a trick that I started early in my career that I sometimes have to rely on still where I keep a note. You, you joked earlier that I have my notebook. I sure do. I have my notebook and I make sure over the course of an hour that I speak twice, particularly in rooms where I see there's a Mm. gender balance or an age imbalance, or maybe a a, a racial, like some imbalance where I feel disempowered. And I say, no, I'm going to, it's a game. I'm competitive. I'm going to speak twice. It will make sure I'm not over speaking, to your point. I'm not feeling like I'm um, overstepping, but I'm being heard. One seems like not enough. Three, maybe a little bit much for me personally in that moment, but two seems reasonable. And sure enough, it's a, it's a trick I teach um, to my mentees. It's something we talk about, about like, make it, I don't want to say a game, but you know, there's nothing wrong with being a little competitive with yourself along the way and making sure in a room where you you're disempowered, you've identified a benchmark for how to practice being empowered. So two very practical ways that I think to your point, you can both be heard and be effectively heard, right? Because they're two different things
2: okay and and I love all of that. I'm gonna actually use that the, the two. You know, I've been in rooms where I'm very intimidated. I quite honestly, I'm intimidated in, in staff meetings with my colleagues but with with faculty, but so I think that that's useful information for anybody, but i'm gonna I'm gonna go back and be very specific about my question. All right, so I'm talking and all of a sudden you interrupt me, Marissa, do I actually do I say, could you let me finish? I mean, is there any kind of thing I can do right there in the moment where I can, I can say, hey, you're stepping over me and, and, and maybe to use my voice to say, that's not cool.
1: Are you talking about as a woman, Ron?
2: Yeah, as a woman. Well, I would say as anybody, because I've seen men get stepped on too. And so, how do we? How do we just you know don't say that's okay to to Mm -hmm. let them do that? And now, how do we stand up for ourselves again? And and I don't want to make this sound like a, a woman man thing, because I think men, how can we do that without sounding like we're just getting you know pissy? for yeah. lack of a better no, word.
0: It's a, well, and I think this is, we all have to figure out what feels right for ourselves. I often talk with my students about using humor in that moment, kind of, because that's an area, that's a sort of way to respond and have your tagline, whatever feels right for me, that, that you know, lets you feel heard, stops, stops it from continuing the interruption, but avoids you come across as overly aggressive okay. or I'll use the B word and say it's bossy, right? But sort of like that style, but it that's unique to me. And everyone may not feel comfortable with that, but I do think it's helpful to think about what's that line in your head, that line that you say that, that comes across as, Hey, you know, like, you know, you're, you know, like take a step in line. I'll be right with you. Right. Like, or whatever, whatever your tagline is, some little thing that, and frankly, I, I was, In a meeting just yesterday, a Zoom meeting with lots of colleagues and without going to oversharing, but that happened, right? And there was a moment where I was, you know, asking questions of the group, trying to sort of open a line of conversation. And it's, I felt like I was being mansplained, right? There was a moment where all of a sudden it was happening in a room where I'm one of a few women. There's not just one, but a few. And I saw it happening and over Zoom is sometimes a little hard because you're not sort of there personally to sort of see body language. And... I, I literally made the joke of like, hey, well, I think, you know, sometimes other people have to talk too. Who else wants to, who else wants to raise their hand, right? And, and I'm in a teaching environment now as a, you know, as a head of school, as an educator. So I made it about the whole, like, who wants to raise their hand so I can call on you next, right? And everyone kind of laughed, but also realized what was happening. Mm. And suddenly other people got to talk. So I think there's a way for me, I think humor is a, a really powerful tool I think, you know, but it it's something that I think we all have to think about individually to feel like what feels right in a moment that is a short pivot that can call to everyone's attention to what's happening, not make it a big deal, and then sort of help everyone move on and hopefully have your voice still heard.
2: Mm, gosh, and I'm going to give it to you here in a second, Tara, but, but for all the men out there, maybe pay attention. How often are you interrupting women? You know, just have a little self-awareness. I think I'm going to be honest. I think a lot of men don't realize they're doing it. And if you were to sit him down and say, hey, you know, you interrupted Tara 17 times, but you only interrupted Bob <laughs> three times, they'd probably go, oh, I had no idea. And so I think maybe a little self-awareness around that. And, I, and, and here's the deal. I'm going to do the exact same thing because... I'm right there with you that that maybe I do it more than than I should. So I just wanted to throw that out there, Tara. No, the you floor know what?
1: Between you and I, Ron, it works out because I interrupt you just as often. Uh, we have a very even thing going on here, uh, all the way to the point, Marissa, where we have just as many women on the podcast as we do men, intentionally. We, yeah, we're,
2: we're shooting for that.
1: That's yeah. great. And I will say, going back to what you were saying earlier about, you know, people find a mentor or find a group where it's mixed men and women to start building this change is where it's at. I remember working in venture capital in San Francisco, which is a very male-dominated, San Francisco tech is very male-dominated, and there would be these little pockets of women, powerful, successful Silicon Valley women that would get together in secret, like in restaurants and just really think that was how it was going to change. And I would go to a few of these and think, this is not where I belong. I belong where it's men and women in a room, because even for Ron and I were constantly with messaging or with concepts, he'll say something and I'll be like, oh, that's not the right message. And he's like, I never knew that. And I said, I never knew you thought that way. It's a brilliant way to kind of, to kind of figure out how to level the playing field. and. I think, and I love the concept of humor. It's what I would do in leadership as well. And it makes me think it goes to one of my favorite chapters in your book. I think it's the last one on adaptability. Uh, Adaptability is key for her. And I'm butchering that just a little bit, but can you talk just for a minute on that and why being adaptable in these situations, whether you're a young girl learning this trait, or you are a career woman already out in the world and needing to adapt yeah. this and why it's so important. Yeah.
0: So I think adaptability and, and Ron to your earlier, it's not gender specific, right? This is for men and women adaptability is one of if not the top skills we all need today. and you know, moving forward. It's because technology is changing rap more rapidly than ever. So our daily work is changing. It's because the workforce itself is changing. And so we have to figure out how to navigate that. It's because lo and behold, there's a global pandemic. And now we're having to face new realities of what life uh, at home and at work looks like. But I argue and I think that that there are some moments and they're just the way it is that force women in, you know, to be even more adaptable than their male peers. And a lot of it has to do with family life and motherhood. And I'm, as a, a young mother myself with a toddler at home, when I wrote that chapter shortly after the birth of my first child, right? Because it suddenly struck me as an executive, as a leader, a you know, CEO equivalent of a you know, mid sized nonprofit, how much adapting I was having to do not just professionally, but in this sort of concept of myself, of myself as a leader, of how I connected with people, what my daily life looked like, and it struck me that that is a real message we we can and should talk about more. Again, because it's important for everyone, but I do think it's something that women will need in a different way at different points in their life as they you know sort of navigate career and family and personal and professional realities. So. And, and I think that, Tara, was sort of where that chapter came from. And then thinking about, like, well, how do we nurture that as a skill set? Because I do think we can help be more adaptable. We can be more flexible by teaching resilience. Get, that, get to the, you know, the metal of your podcast, right? Early on, there's ways we can teach ourselves resilience, and then it makes you more flexible good with failure, and that makes you more adaptable. And I think, you know, for me, that was really my military training is where I got a lot of that, that taught it to me in a, in a different way, and I now use it and apply it right at a, at a girl's school, right. Who would have thought, but that sort of really, you know, it's helped me as a, as a leader of a girl's school and as a mother, that training I had, but I think it's something that we can all pick up and really hone as a, a part of our, our set along the way.
2: Mm, I always, I always use the little, I don't know where this came from. I think it came from the military, adapt, improvise, overcome.
0: Mm-hmm. I think
2: that's such a good mantra to, to just kind of go through life. And I think you touched on this, but, but I think, you know, when you talk about adaptability, that's at the it's the, it's, you know, it's a foundational thing to resilience. And, mm-hmm. and I would say, wh- where do you think, and I haven't got to that chapter in the book, but and maybe you mentioned this, but where do you think uh, curiosity fits into that or does it? I mean, is that part of that adaptability equation to be curious and, and just, I don't know, observe yeah. it and
0: Well, I think because the curiosity, when we're thinking about if we break down resilience, resilience requires us to like fail, dust ourselves off and then keep going. And in the keep going part of it is when you have to like relearn whatever it is you failed at. And and I say failure, realizing that most failure is a small F, right? It's just the stumbling downs of everyday life. And that's where I think curiosity does come in. This ability to learn and relearn, adapt by, you know, trying and doing. I, I truly think that curiosity is definitely part of it. But so too is just the practice of getting up again. But, and I think that's a, a weird thing to talk about in that ways, but again, I'm super practical with how I think about, you know, what it means to nurture these skills in the next generation or in ourselves, right? When I'm reflecting back on what helps me, the practice part of it, I think takes an honest assessment of moments of failure. It's sharing stories when it doesn't work and then learning from them with each other and doing it differently. And that's something that I think we can do as adults more conscientiously and more consciously. And so one thought for those, for listeners is how you and your teams talk about moments of failure and reflect on it, right? Something that i brought to the, my team that is purely based on my time in the military are, are after action reports. We don't call them after action reports. I sort of jokingly tell that to the, the teachers and my faculty leaders here at school. And they think it's funny when I bring the military terms into our, <laughs> our daily school life. But, you know, when something happens, when there's, you know, a fire drill that doesn't go well, and that's maybe not a great example, but when something happens, you know, a week or two later, I say, okay, let's just go around the table and say what worked and what didn't, right? Let's really be honest and say, okay, this didn't work so well, that didn't work so well, you know, fine, not a big deal. We all got through it. Let's write it down. And let's reflect on it. And then again, it's this resilience of dusting ourselves and moving on. And I think when we have moments of failure as teams, as leaders, it's a great way to help build resilience in a team and particularly now and be gender specific in women who by and large have more trouble dealing with failure. It's just a social norm that we take it harder. We ruminate on it more. We're more perfectionist and sort of hold on to those moments of failure. But if you just normalize it as Okay. Guys, we like this thing goes so well. What did we do wrong? How can we do it better again? Move on. I think that helps the practice of the resilient moment uh, in each of us.
1: Wow, incredible messages. And uh, you can get a lot more in depth if you get Marissa's book, What Girls Need. Again, in the show notes, you can click there. And Marissa, aside from the book, if people are really starting to resonate a little bit with the message that they're hearing today, how do people follow you, stay in touch? Where can they find you?
0: Thank you. Yes. So my website, marissaporges.com or whatgirlsneed.com, whichever one comes to memory, all my information is there. You can pick up a copy of the book at Amazon or wherever you buy bookstores, your local independent bookshop too, and, and reach out. You know, you can find my contact information there. I'm always looking forward to seeing what resonates and what questions are on people's minds. Or to request a signed book plate so you can pass the book along to a favorite woman or man in your life.
2: Great message. And I'm so happy that Marissa, you, you reached out to me and, and that we got you on the show. I was looking forward to this. So let's uh, let's put a bow on this, like we always do with all of our forging mental podcasts, with our signature question. So, what advice would you have for people to to just really get better at mental toughness, resilience, and grit in their daily lives?
0: Yeah, I think it's about building into daily practice in a really easy way. Moments where we talk about and reflect on high, highs and lows. Those. Roses and thorns, we call it with our kids sometimes, but just to be able to say with your team or with your you know, your family or whoever it is, when you have those moments say, hey, this went well, this didn't go well, let's move on. right?" And, and that normalizes this sense that, yeah, we all have moments of failure, but we also all have highs that go right with it. And the more we practice that, recognizing that reality and just moving on, the better and easier it gets to be resilient and uh, own our own grit. Thanks for joining us this week. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell all your friends. If you didn't,
1: let's just forget this happened and we'll try again next week. Until then, join the revolution to forge metal and connect with us on social media.